Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Today's episode is a very special Valentine's Day edition. It's actually our very first repeat guest. So Christina Kim, who is the founder of Agency, which is a sugar dating company, she and I decided to have part two of our conversation about all things relationships and dating, female sexuality. It's a pretty juicy conversation. So if you are around children, I would not recommend listening to this. I mean, we don't get, you know, call her daddy explicit. But it is not a business episode. Let's just put it that way. If you are also squeamish or you get uncomfortable with these topics, I think this could either be not the right episode for you or the right episode for you, depending on how much you like to explore the edge of your comfort zone. I personally really enjoyed this conversation. It was more of a dialogue instead of a straight up interview, if you will. I think the first part of our conversation was more of an interview. This one is more of a back and forth and I actually share quite a bit about my own personal life and how I'm thinking about dating right now and some of the lessons I've learned. So you'll get quite a glimpse into my personal life and how I think about that. I personally really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you get something out of it, especially if you are an ambitious woman who wants to also approach dating in a more intentional, thoughtful, communicative way. I think you'll get a lot out of this. Now, before we dive in, I do want to share our sponsor for today's episode, Livecom. I have been talking about the TikTokification of e-commerce, the trend I'm really excited about, because consumers do want to see videos of real people using your product before they buy. And my favorite tool for that is Livecom. Their plug-and-play tool lets you add shoppable videos to your Shopify store. Super easy, one-click, no-code embeds, anything from shoppable UGC to product videos, how-to, sizing, explainers, and everything in between. They work with top brands like Vanity Planet, Glamnetic, and SheFit, and are just a really easy way to increase your conversion rate. So it's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion. If you want to learn more, go to livecom.com forward slash dolma, L-Y-V-E-C-O-M.com forward slash dolma, and it'll give you 20% off a one-month free trial. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with Christina Kim. And we are back with a previous guest with Christina Kim. Christina, I am so excited to have you on again. I would love for you to just give a little brief intro of yourself for those who didn't tune in for the first episode, and then we can kick off the conversation. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina, and most people on TikTok know me as the sugar baby to CEO. I went viral a few years ago during the pandemic for launching my own sugar dating site, and at the time, I was a business student at USC, and I dropped out to build this company. Since then, my title has changed and my story is ever-evolving, and I'm happy to share all of the different ways that that journey has turned out, all of you. And I'm honored to be back for part two. So tell us about what brought about part two of this conversation. I mean, we we had part one. I reached out to you because I was like, this is awesome. She's building something in such a different space and also something that is maybe stigmatized. And I love the work you do around just shedding awareness on the fact that sugar dating is stigmatized. There are a lot of myths around it. So I reached out. We had a conversation and then we wanted to sort of go deeper and clarify a little bit more. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for context. I loved the questions you were asking in the last podcast interview. And I recognized in the moment that you were asking me all these questions about sexuality. And for the past few months, I've been so disconnected from my own sexuality because I've been so focused on building this business. And I feel like I was in such a fog. And rather than asking you to expand on why you're asking this question or why you're curious about it, I'm taking a moment to be like, you know what? I don't even know right now. 
I kind of went on a defensive mode and I was like, oh, I need to like give you a good answer and I need to give the people a good answer. And I think it limited the ability for us to go deeper in a conversation around sexuality of like the rawness of sexuality and the ups and downs. And so I wanted to use that as an opportunity to reach out to you and to just like say from a personal level, like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And like, it's really hard for me to do that. And I think this is like the whole conversation around like putting your pleasure first and being in tune with what your needs are and being able to vocalize that. And so, yeah, I'm really appreciative that you gave me the opportunity and the space to speak up and to receive that. And now we're here having this conversation and I hope that it can be an insight to what it's like to be in tune with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I received that message from you, I was just like, wow, this is such a good example of somebody going that extra mile to really take care of their own needs and communicating that in such a kind, clear way and direct way. So I thought it was commendable of you because I think a lot of people may be in a similar situation. Granted, probably a lot of podcast guests don't get asked about sexuality, but mm -hmm. You know, that was sort of like the context of our conversation. I think a lot of people probably walk away from these things if they don't have a good interview experience on whatever podcast or whatever speaking opportunity or situation. They probably walk away just feeling like, oof, like I'm cringing yeah. about that or I don't feel good about that, but they don't speak up and they're just like, I'll just have to live with that. I think it's just something everyone can learn from, which is, oh, if you feel like something is unsettled or unresolved about a situation, then say something about it. You know what I mean? You exactly. never know how receptive the other person's going to be. In this case, it's working out beautifully. And also, yeah. I've had a few situations this week where with two different work situations, mm -hmm. I was like, wait, this doesn't feel good. What The terms mm -hmm. that we agreed on don't feel good. And then I followed up and I was like, actually, can we either not do this or can we increase this and make it different? Me, even two years ago, would not have done that. But now I'm like, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to mm -hmm. like move forward with this feeling that is like this unresolved feeling in my gut. Even if it doesn't change the situation, I have to know I have my own back. Yeah. Say something, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, this is an opportunity for me to connect deeper with you yeah. rather than to just pull away and to carry that burden of feeling like I did terribly. And I've recently found out about this like concept and I think it's a book, but it's called Infinite Games. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. I haven't read the book yet, but I'm like pulling a lot just by the title. And I think the concept is that like in any given situation, there is always an infinite game to be played. So let's say we're having a conversation and I think we're playing one game, but you say something and the rules of that game now change in that moment. I can either choose to disengage and pull away or I can keep that game going in a different context. And I feel like this situation has been a good example of an infinite game that you and I can keep playing mm -hmm. of like that game that we played wasn't fun or it wasn't good for me. So can we change the rules of the game? Can we change the rules of the conversation and mm -hmm. keep finding a way to engage with each other yeah. and therefore it becomes this infinite game. So thank you for playing this with me. <laughs> of course. I'd love to know what you feel. I don't want to put you on the spot. Sure. So if you don't have an answer, it's okay. But what you feel I could have done better or differently. And this is me getting vulnerable because I, I really want to become better at creating this container for mm -hmm. good exploration and conversation and, you know, a feeling of safety. And I do think that we are inherently treading into a difficult topic. And that's part mm -hmm. of why I wanted to get you on because I find the tabooness of sexuality, mm -hmm. human sexuality, and the way it intersects with all these other areas of our lives and yet is so 
compartmentalized on a surface level. I mm-hmm. find that fascinating. But I do think that it is just a challenging and delicate topic. So with that in particular, how do you think I could have handled it differently or better? Or where do you feel like the conversation could have made things more clear or more comfortable for you? I don't know. I guess it was I, I can only speak on what I think I could have done better, which is like I could have dropped the ego. I could have come in being like, I am not an expert on this, you know, and not assume that position either. because I'm not. But I definitely like, you know, look up to this podcast and to you and the types of guests that you have. And I was like, oh, I need to like meet that expectation. And I have this like a business podcast for female founders and I want to like show up in this way. And I was like, ah, oh, that's just not me right now. And yeah, I don't I don't know what you could have done to make that the case. You know, that's just something that just feels more like me. I think I could have established that point better, which is you don't have to be an expert. I'm just curious about this because I imagine that you think about this more than a lot of people and more intentional because you are obviously, as is evidenced by even this conversation so far, you are a very intentional human. And I love talking to other intentional self-aware people about topics that I think are kind of underserved or underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, I I would love for us to pick back up from that Mm -hmm. point. Not so much like you have to be the PhD in human sexuality and female (laughs) sexuality and the way to intersect with entrepreneurship, but more like what has been your experience? What have been your learnings? What are your findings and even open questions, right? Because these are things that I'm actively thinking about. That's what I would love to explore. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know more about your sexuality and where that all fits in during this period of your life. Because I can assume like, you know, things are really picking up or have been picking up for you for quite some time now. Like, how do you find time and space for yourself? That's such a good question. And I love that you're asking me this. So I would say in general, I have always been fairly comfortable with my sexuality and expressing it. But all of us have internalized sort of like stigma Mm -hmm. and blocks and stuff, right? And shame. It's just sort of part of being a human in this society. But think that I've generally been pretty open with it. But what I have been sometimes uncomfortable about is the fact that other people are largely uncomfortable. So even if I want to talk about it or even if I want to have conversations with friends about it, I know that not everyone is open to that or not everyone feels comfortable with their own sexuality. So maybe me being comfortable with mine will feel threatening or kind of scary or triggering for them. So I have observed that. So when I do have the opportunity to talk about it, I think I get a little over enthusiastic. (laughs) I almost want to have this like little like salon of like women in business or women entrepreneurs and we just get to talk about this stuff like there are so many circles or communities of women who talk about the business side of things but what if we all got together and like talked about all the rest of it because they impact all of them impact each other so anyway to answer your question right now I am in a busy period of my life and I feel like there's a lot of momentum and I'm trying to sort of like keep up with it all and also be discerning about what I say no and yes to. And I'm calibrating the way I do that because I think I was just saying default yes to everything. And now I'm like, whoa, that was way too much. I am not currently in a relationship and I've been single for a little over a year. And I think we talked briefly about this, but I have not been single for a really long time. So I think my exploration of intimacy mm. and even intimacy with myself, right? Like exploring my own, yeah. my own pleasure looks different now than it would if I were in a relationship. I think it's just a very fluid thing where also I'm a, a little bit nomadic right now. So even if I meet amazing people in different cities, it's like mm-hmm. what kind of a relationship can we even carry on, right? Because I'm sure, sure. in two weeks and not yeah. bad. 
for another few months. So there's that consideration. So right now, where a relationship, in my case, a man would be, Mm -hmm. is being filled by almost like everything else. And I feel very fulfilled. And I don't feel a great sense of, wow, I feel very sort of like starved (laughs) intimacy because I had a friend in college. She used to call it a masturbation practice. We're just Mm -hmm. going there in this episode. She used to call it a masturbation practice. And she and I taught Mm -hmm. yoga together. And I loved that. I was like, oh, that's so nice to take something that people typically either stigmatize or feel shame around. It's just like hush hush, like private thing. And she's like sanctifying it into this practice. And I really liked that. So I feel like that is also, you know, when you need it, that's there. So that can be. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like in everything that you're doing right now, you're putting your pleasure and your desires first. Yeah. And I think I remember in some of your other posts, like you were saying that when you were in these relationships, you were pouring out a lot of this energy into these relationships rather than just putting your pleasure first. And I definitely can understand that feeling. Yeah, I think masturbation is like the perfect way to get in tune with your body and what feels good for you and to make space for moments like that for yourself, I think are super important. Yeah. And you know what's changed about that for me, my masturbation Mm -hmm. practice for me is that I think that when I was younger, it used to be more like a habitual routine thing. Mm -hmm. But now, ironically, maybe it's also because I'm just super busy, but part of me saying yes to things when I really feel like it, saying no when I want to say no Mm -hmm. and just speaking up and being so discerning about every area of my life increasingly is that I will engage in my practice if it feels like something I really want to do. That energy is so alive for me. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'd like to kind of experiment, almost play around with like, can I harness this energy? Because you and I were talking about how sexual energy is creative energy, right? And yeah, I love yeah. And there are a lot of like beautiful, especially Eastern traditions that kind of speak to that and cultivate mm-hmm. that and have real practices around that. I haven't gone too deep into those, but I do mm-hmm. feel like sometimes if I just practice almost like a body awareness kind of mindfulness and tune into that energy, I can almost harness it in a way that makes me just feel more alive and magnetic yeah. instead yeah. of immediately like rushing to release it physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to play with that tension. That's super cool. But yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just beginning to play around with it, but I do actually I mean, as long as we're talking about this, I love goal setting and intention setting for like new years, right? Mm -hmm. And one of my goals this year has been, I want to explore different traditions that teach you how to harness that energy and use it to maybe even like revitalize yourself physically or direct it into creative or entrepreneurial channels. And and so that's something that I've been playing around with. Even like breath work, you can do a lot mm-hmm. of interesting things with your breath, whether you're with a partner or alone. So that's what totally. I'm saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, please keep me posted on that because I'm on that <laughs> same wavelength with you. I'm like, I need to find ways to channel this because like you said, it is such a like driving force. Like it yeah. does make you feel alive. And if you can learn how to channel that in the right ways, I think it's really powerful. For me, I also used to be like a habitual masturbator where it was like more just like because it was fun to do. But now it really feels like let me meditate first. Yeah. Let me like set the vibe. Let me just like reconnect with myself before I like do this thing. It really is like such a powerful way to be in touch with your attraction and the things that you can attract when you are embodied in that experience. That is such a mind blowing thing to me. Like we talk about attraction as if like it's like a physical like oh, you look hot or oh, you have have all these things. 
But it is an energetic thing. When you're in touch with that, you can attract so many opportunities, so many different types of energies and relationship dynamics. And like, it's magic. I completely agree. Oh my gosh, there's so much I want to unpack there. Embodiment is such a key word and it's a word I've been contemplating. And yeah, like the habitual masturbation thing. Like I I used to just like do it when I was bored. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's so interesting because I started to notice eventually that it was something that I could do. And I think this is true for me, whether I'm mm-hmm. being intimate alone or with a partner, that kind of intimacy, that physical intimacy is an act that can either connect you deeper to yourself yeah. or disconnect you from yourself. Like it can yeah. be a way of like checking out or disengaging. That is what's so fascinating to me because it looks the same from the outside, but it's a little so different. Yeah, it is so crazy, especially like in today's culture where like OnlyFans and porn and like all of these other stimuluses are so accessible. In some ways it's empowering, but in other ways it is disempowering if it's disconnecting you from real connection or from yourself or if you're just choosing it to distract yourself or avoid or to be in this like fantasy land and to, you know, not be here in this true moment. I feel like what we're pointing to in so many words is almost like sexuality, especially female sexuality as a form potentially of self-care or like Mm -hmm. self-abandonment and neglect Mm -hmm. if you're not honoring yourself and your boundaries and like tuning into yourself. But its highest potential is a form of self-care. And that's why I feel like this is actually so relevant for a business podcast. I know that a lot Mm -hmm. of people may not see it that way, but that's exactly something I want to start to change because I think there's so much energy that gets blocked and sort of like locked up. I think when we have that shame and unwillingness to love and accept such a human fundamental primal part of ourselves. And I think when we can embrace it and reintegrate it and harness it and love it, Mm -hmm. I think it unblocks a lot of energy. And the other thing that I've been thinking about lately is sometimes I think that when it's used in a way that hurts us or harms others, I actually think that there's often like shame embedded in that where like the more shamed you are or repressed something is, the more it comes out in these like harmful ways. Whereas if we learn to like love and integrate that part and be embodied, like you said, I feel like it can be this beautiful, life-giving, creative, Mm -hmm. intimacy building thing. Yeah, I really feel that. And I see that so often, you know, like as a sugar baby building a sugar dating site, I connect with so many different types of women and men. And you can very quickly start to see, like, where is this energy coming from? And how are you choosing to take care of yourself? Because in one way you can take care of yourself is by making sure your financial needs are being met or your sexual needs are being met and just really being adamant that that is the most important thing because you're protecting yourself. But on the other hand, another form of protecting yourself is to not have to be aggressive about the things that you need and just being a little bit more flowy and like open to negotiating with this other person and seeing where you can meet in the middle versus just being so like, I need these things and I'm not going to engage with you until that need is met. And I think that really pushes a lot of people away and it attracts a different type of person who might not actually have your best interest in mind. When you say that, are you referring to more women who are looking to immediately make sure their financial needs are being met or men who are looking to have their physical needs met, not to be, you know, heteronormative? Or do you mean both? Totally both. You can see like pain on both sides and people thinking like, oh, if I get this need met, it will fix me or it'll fix this feeling of loneliness that I have or this feeling of inadequacy. And it really is just like a very level one way of trying to fix the problem without actually understanding where it's coming from. Like my favorite quote of all time is if you really understood your problems, they would change. 
Because if you are trying to like solve this thing in your life and you're trying all of these different methods and you're not seeing any change, probably means that you're not really understanding what's really going on there. That's profound. I find that to be true in my life where if I'm chasing something and trying to fill a certain hole in my life or in my heart with this external thing and it's not working, then that's probably not the thing that's supposed to fill that hole. (laughs) Pun not intended. But (laughs) I'm just so fascinated by the sugar dating space because I feel like it's a world that most people don't know a lot about. And I'm sure that there can be so many variations like to your point like some people can be going into it hungry and like with this urgency and without having done the work of inquiring within about where is this urgency or where is this grasping or aggression Mm -hmm. coming from on either side and then at its best to the points that we were making in part one of our conversation at its best it can be an empowering thing where you understand your needs and who you are and you have a very specific clear idea of what you want and you're looking to enter like a grown-up relationship with somebody designed to suit both of your needs and then there's everything in between Mm -hmm. i'm curious about maybe some of those aspects of it that are a little less healed or a little less like Mm -hmm. processed where people are coming into it not having looked at themselves what does that look like and what have you learned about how people on either side should navigate those situations. Yeah, I want to make it clear that I don't think that there's like one right way to sugar date by Mm -hmm. any means. And there's no judgment for how everybody chooses to sugar date. I think that's for each individual to figure out. Like, I think that's what having agency is all about is for you to make that decision for yourself of how you're best going to take care of your own needs. And then from that point, continue to reflect, continue to evolve, continue to work with this other person that you're engaging with to keep assessing, okay, is this really my need? Or now that I've had this financial need met or the sexual need met, how can I go deeper? Or I'm still curious about this. What else is there for me to explore about myself? That's when sugar dating can become really transformative or a way to just understand yourself and how you engage with other people. And I think that's when you can get the most out of it. I think a lot of people come into sugar dating being really confused about it because it is a really confusing landscape where you are talking about sex and money. And so it's really easy to believe, oh, this is sex work or, oh, I'm selling a service or I am a product and this is my price. I think a lot of people can't really see the difference between that And in any relationship, you have to negotiate like, hey, what are your boundaries? Or how much time do you have to see me? How committed are you to this relationship? Also, this is the ways that I need help. And some of that help looks like financial help. Like that, I think, is a holistic conversation that everybody needs to be better at doing in any relationship, whether that's sugar dating or not. And so... I think those two things are such a drastic difference, but seems like most people have it confused. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking about sugar dating in this sense of like treating it like a relationship where you're just analyzing every little piece of what it means to come together and how to make it work. And I think a lot of people seem to want it to be this other thing because there's no nuance there. It's just like, okay, I can get this. And it's very like instant gratification. But I think, you know, both are valid things. And I think you can even do both at the same time and use it as just a way of exploration. And there's no necessarily right or wrong way to do it. I don't know the actual definition per se of sex work, but Uh would you consider sugar dating falling under the umbrella of sex work or no? Yeah, such a loaded question because like I've definitely had sugar relationships that are just on the sex work side. And I had no problem or shame doing that because I was like, hey, at least we're being honest and fair 
and just like meeting each other in the middle. And I think that is a really beautiful thing to be able to do. But I've also had other experiences that are just like dating. And like for me, a better version of dating than some of the experiences that I've had on like Hinge or Tinder, which are just as transactional. And so, yeah, That's a really I don't know. Good point, by the way, yeah, like sure, sugar dating can be sex work. It doesn't have to be. I think some experiences on Tinder are sex work too, and you're just not even getting paid for it. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, can you walk us through a story of like a really mind blowing or memorable date? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. First one that comes to mind is this guy that I was seeing for maybe like six months or so. I just remember we had been seeing each other for quite some time now. And our usual was just to like hang out in the evenings after work, wind down together, watch a movie, talk about life, sit out under the stars and really just talk about all things. And we had the type of relationship where he was telling me, oh, like I'm really looking to find a potential like wife because that's the phase of life that he was at. And he was telling me about like the women that he was seeing and some were more serious some weren't working out and I was always open to hearing that and like supporting that because I know that I'm not in a place right now to be able to meet you there and so we had like a very comfortable and beautiful friendship really and I think the date that comes to mind is I came over a little earlier this time it was during the summer it was like a beautiful summer evening we took a dip in the pool and we were just lounging out by the sun. And then we got ready, freshened up, went out to dinner at a sushi restaurant. And we were just driving around town in like a convertible and the music was playing. And then we came back home and then we connected and it was it was amazing. It was like the perfect date, in my opinion. And that doesn't sound very different than traditional dating to most people, right? Like, I don't know what people think of when they think of a sugar date. Maybe they think of like, you show up to a dinner, there's an old guy there, and he, like, <laughs> you're uncomfortable the entire time. Everybody's looking at you guys. He slips you an envelope of cash. Like, and to be honest, that is like a majority of sugar experiences, I'm sure. But it doesn't have to be that way. And it can be like a guy who is in his mid-30s who's attractive and somebody that I would have loved to have met on any other type of dating app. But you can have that level of honesty. And because I'm able to meet him where he's at, he also can meet me where I'm at. And we can just like find a way to like play this game. Yeah, I would describe like my best sugar experiences as an ephemeral kind of love Mm -hmm. where it's unattached. Like I have a crush on them and I'm excited to see them, but I don't start fantasizing about forever. I don't start having these expectations of like, okay, I need you to show up and do these things for me and to be like this husband material or whatever. I feel like I want to project onto them. I can just take a moment and pause and just be like, I can just be present. I don't need to start jumping to conclusions. And I think it's a really, really beautiful practice and one that I'm sure you might be familiar with in this stage of your life where you aren't settled and not looking to settle, but you can still like play with people. Totally. I resonate with that so much, especially, as you said, in this current season of my life, because I was in all these back-to-back relationships. And this past year and a half, I think a few things have happened for me, not only in my nomadic, so it's just hard for me to like sustain a relationship. Like there have been a few people I've met who just don't live where I live. And that's inevitable because right now I'm spending most of my time in Sacramento, California, and I just don't Mm -hmm. know a lot of people there. (laughs) And I spend most of my time at home with my best friend and her dog, who is my temporary boyfriend. (laughs) So the nomadic thing, but also a few realizations have happened for me. I'm 30 now. And I feel like there was 
this story that we are typically fed by society that says if you experience some sort of like love connection or really emotionally, romantically intimate connection with somebody, it needs mm-hmm. to escalate into yeah. the inevitable of like a ring and marriage mm-hmm. and babies and a home and a mortgage. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the linear path. And so mm-hmm. I kept kind of by default going down that path and then realizing like, oh no, this is not the right person. This is not the right person. What I've realized the last year and a half is I can have such beautiful, I would call them love connections where I come Mm -hmm. in with such an open heart and I am not sort of gatekeeping my love until they give me some proof of whatever Mm -hmm. or like take things to the next level or we define the relationship where they call me a certain label. Like I'm not gatekeeping. I'm just there fully open heart. I feel like it's reciprocated, you know, and it's just a beautiful connection. We have fun. We have intimacy. And then it's okay if we like part ways. And then when we cross paths again, we cross paths again. And I think for me right now, it's taking a little getting used to because there's just such a strong old programming of like, okay, so what's next? But then I'm like, wait, no, I don't even want that. I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of hoping for that as validation for my ego where I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. if you are not trying to wife me up, then do you even like me where it's this like ego thing? But I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh no, I don't need that at all. And I actually ask myself, if I'm being honest, like, I don't want that with you either. (laughs) But I do want this connection and I really appreciate it. It's just nourishing to give love. And I think Mm -hmm. before I was in a needier place in my life as a younger woman, I was more concerned about receiving. And now I'm like, that doesn't feel good anymore, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. I think this is such an important conversation and you're hitting on all of the points that like completely resonate with me. And I think a lot of women on TikTok might even need to hear this because they (laughs) see so much energy of being like, you don't do this unless he does that. And it really just shows a lot of people are coming from a place where they're not full in themselves. They're not showing up in their full self and they're expecting somebody to like show up and like complete that version of themselves. And I always try to say, before you try to find the perfect partner, why don't you work on becoming the better version of yourself? And I promise you will attract better people for that. And I love what you're saying about like just tuning in with your own needs and knowing that like it doesn't have to go like zero to a hundred. There are so many places in the middle where you can have beautiful relationship dynamics that don't look like marriage or a serious boyfriend. And why do we close ourselves off from those types of connections? Totally. And I think that there's also a lot of men who do feel very guilty about, you know, those expectations that women have. And so they shy away from relationships and oftentimes they do end up on sugar dating sites because they don't want to lead with that on dating apps to be like because even on traditional dating apps even if you say I'm not looking for something serious I think that a lot of girls think that like oh well we're spending all this time together and like I'm developing feelings so he must be feeling it too I don't know we all jump to a lot of conclusions and so I see often this group of men who are sincere and they know what their needs are and they feel guilty about that and that's why they choose to sugar date and what if we could just form these relationships and just be honest with each other that's really cool that you're able to figure that out and not even having to use sugar dating as like (laughs) the way to practice that yeah I mean it's a work in progress for me but I am starting to realize that not every connection needs to escalate and regardless of what happens and what doesn't it doesn't mean anything about my worth my value as a woman I think that's so important I think that's where sort of like that I'm gonna hold you hostage until you do (laughs) things for me mentality comes from that you're talking about Uh on TikTok where it's like if you don't do this for me then you know dump his ass or whatever yeah like I don't believe in those 
games or sort of arbitrary rules because I think there are some that feel like genuine needs or boundaries, right? Like honor that no matter what anyone is like telling you and don't let anyone like convince you that those are not valid. But also if they're not genuinely (laughs) kind of springing up from within you and they're not authentic to you, I don't think it makes sense to live by these arbitrary rules. I think when I was more vulnerable and scared of being hurt or like quote unquote played like when I was in college or whatever I would maybe abide by that a little bit more and keep my distance until somebody Mm -hmm. met me maybe a little more than halfway and then I'd be like okay now I feel comfortable but now I don't have any of that I've thrown all that out the window if I like somebody I will like express it I will signal I just really believe in wouldn't you rather know sooner than later? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't you Mm -hmm. rather just reach out and try to initiate a connection that you like with somebody you genuinely like and then learn sooner than later instead of having to like lure them in with some sort of a game and then you don't even know if it's like because you're playing hard to get or what? You know what I mean? (laughs) I know, yeah. That's my philosophy now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, this just goes back to knowing what your needs are and using pleasure and being in tune with that to inform what you need from a partner rather than letting your partner set the pace or telling you how they feel about you and then you deciding how you feel about them. It's kind of like putting the agency or the power in the other person's hand to be like, Mm -hmm. hey, this is the container of how I want you rather than you being like, hey, this is like what I want. A lot of people are not in tune with their own needs. True. Yeah. It's a a hard thing to be in tune with. We're not taught how to be in touch with that version of ourselves because we're always putting like work or other people ahead of ourselves. So, yeah, start masturbating, everybody. Get in (laughs) touch with yourselves. (laughs) That's my takeaway from this. Yeah. One thing that it's connected to this idea of like not every connection needs to lead to like something. Right. And it's also, I think, somehow for me related to this reframe of relationships that have ended are not failed relationships like they Mm -hmm. could have like been beautiful connections that were right for us in that season of life I've had one really really serious relationship maybe two and I thought we were gonna like go the whole way I was like wow Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just never gonna have to date anymore like that was like a really serious relationship for me and when it ended I was like devastated it was a whole like I moved to LA and everything but for the longest time I was so confused because I was like I really felt like there was something special about that relationship how could I have been so wrong I'm usually not so wrong on an intuitive Mm -hmm. level about things and it's only recently that I've realized I wasn't wrong both can be true it could have been so special and meaningful and like even like a soul connection and also have served its purpose and not have been quote unquote meant to be forever and that's perfectly valid and no less beautiful and now I'm like there's no such thing as a failed marriage or relationship it's all an experience you know they all give us something and teach us something seriously and something I wanted to mention in the last podcast episode when you asked me kind of more about my upbringing was like my parents relationship was a perfect example of that for me so they divorced when I was three and I think I held on to that for a really long time where I was like oh my god they failed their relationship they should have just worked harder to make it work And so I carried this narrative in my mind where I was like, okay, in whatever relationship I get into, I need to work really hard to make sure that this works. All relationships are hard and might as well just like put in more effort. And if I can make it work, I am not a failure. And it made me stay in these relationships for much longer than I probably should have because I just thought like if I don't make it work, I'm a failure. And It's so interesting to me because now a few years later, I can recognize like, yeah, it is just a part of this process. It's just a journey. 
my parents ended up getting back together with each other when I was 18. Wow. After like my dad had already remarried and had my younger half sister. And so I don't know, like that's the perfect example for me to see like, okay, it didn't work this first time. It can still be a beautiful connection. Like they still had such an amazing friendship. They supported each other for all of these years to raise two wonderful women. And then when the time was right, then they got back together. And not to say that you need to get back together with your exes or that's the right thing to do. <laughs> BRB but... texting him right now. <laughs> I don't know. You just never know. And you don't need to like consider these things a failure. They can be ephemeral and you can learn the lesson and then move on. You just really never know. That's so true. That's fascinating that they got back together when you were 18. Timing and also just like people having time to grow and evolve yeah. is so important. In fact, actually, three of my more serious relationships, including the one that I just mentioned, never thought I would share this on my own podcast. <laughs> yes. With all three of them. I was pretty young when I met all of them. I think I was like 18 when I met two of them and then 19 maybe when I met the other one. Anyway, and I liked them in different ways and kind of was making an effort. You know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm interested in this person. And so initially things didn't really work out or like in one case I got overtly rejected. I was like, do you want to be in a relationship with me? And they were like, no. <laughs> really sad. And then my mom took me to see Lady Gaga at Madison Square Garden in New York, which was actually an amazing way it played out. But then I went through a lot of growth in college and I think I just came into my own as a woman and I think unlocked more confidence and sensuality and maybe even like magnetism. And I just knew who I was. And I mm -hmm. think that you can feel that off of somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of thing emanates off of you. To your point, attraction is not just about looks. It's like so mm -hmm. much more than that. And it was so funny how we had those initial encounters uh -huh. where I was interested and they were maybe lukewarm or not really reciprocating. But then eventually, like something happened, we reconnected and they just fell so hard for me and they were pursuing me so hard. And I was like, yeah, I guess I want this. <laughs> and then it became a whole thing. In some cases, there were years that passed in between those two periods mm -hmm. of interaction. And to me, that's just, again, like this sign of it's all so mysterious and timing plays such a big role. And sometimes you can evolve so much and then somebody becomes right for you. Maybe even you evolve into somebody who loves herself enough that people mm -hmm. who are willing to like adore you start to be recognized by you as a viable candidate. Because I think that sometimes we're not willing to accept a lot of love and adoration. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we don't even see those people as attractive when they're pursuing us. We're like, if it's not toxic, mm -hmm. I don't want it. Seriously, you know I mean? right. Yeah. yeah. And then it takes some healing to be like, wait, no, I only wanted to give me peace and love and make my cup full. Yeah. I don't think anyone will ever regret building themselves up and like becoming more in tune with who they want to be. Because when you do that, you're always ahead. You're yeah. never behind when you're putting yourself first. Yeah. And the reason I'm also passionate about this is because somebody asked me like is it a coincidence that this inflection point for you professionally happened when you were single for the first time in a while mm -hmm. and I'd never connected those dots and I was like actually I don't think it's a coincidence because wow. I think that relationships take energy and time it could even just be like the fact that we are in a relationship it takes a lot yeah. of you know energy and so I think like I know women in my life who are so brilliant and talented but I can see and it's so hard because as a friend you can't really do anything mm -hmm. about it it's just not your mm -hmm. business but I can see how much their relationship is sort of like weighing on them even though like, they're kind of settled into a groove like I can see how it's actually like depleting their vitality and like robbing them of the opportunity frankly to like really step into the life that they could have and things they could be doing and it's like yeah man that sucks because I can see the potential within you you know 
Totally. I think what I've learned is like there's no amount of preaching or telling people. You just have to live it. And eventually they'll just be like, whoa, that is somebody who is embodied in that yeah. philosophy of yeah. how they choose to live their life. And like there's no better example than to be the living proof of that. That's so true. I think the best way to teach anything is like we can't really teach and like all of us are learning. Yeah. So no one's really ultimately like better than anyone else, but we can embody something ourselves and it becomes contagious or inspiring mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. proofs that it's possible. Yes. What would you say you would most want to embody for other people to like give them permission to express or be? To just always evolve and to honor like the shadow side of yourself because that side of yourself is just as important as this like mystical light and loving version of yourself like I think the duality is so important and I really believe that when you can integrate that into your life that's when you know your conscious and your subconscious and that is such a powerful thing to do and so that's my guiding force it's not really about like morality or like you know stigmas if you have that guiding principle of how do I feel about this how does my shadow feel about this? Mm -hmm. And where is that coming from? Like, again, if you understand it, then the problems will change. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably what I use to guide my life. And I think it's a very freeing concept because there's technically no rules. So much of like the conversations happening in society today are like, you can do this, you can't do that. If you do this, then you're that. And it's like so hard to keep track of. Like it's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, it really just is like each individual has the agency to honor the parts of themselves and to keep evolving. Really, that's all I'm trying to say in everything that I talk about, whether it's dating or entrepreneurship, anything. Honor every part of yourself. Have you, first of all, have you read Existential Pink? Did we talk yes. about this last time? No, no. You but read? I saw, I, I read it and it was transformational for me. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. So yeah. I had a few good friends recommend it to me and I recently made a video about some breakthrough I had with my professional life and people started commenting about Existential mm -hmm. Pink. And so I was like, oh, interesting. And that book is excellent. So for anyone listening who wants to do shadow work and kind of like mm -hmm. become more intimately acquainted with themselves, their own blind spots that might be in need of healing or being processed and might be holding them back. I think that book is a really powerful, provocative primer. Yes. on. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Other than that, are there tools or books or resources or practices that have been helpful for you in terms of shadow work? Journaling, I think, is the number one thing, like always taking accountability for how I think I could have shown up better and recognizing why in that moment I didn't show up better, I think is a really, really like great practice of understanding yourself and your needs. And for me, like dancing and music mm -hmm. is really important too because it allows me to show up and embody the energy that I want in that moment and mm -hmm. I feel like I can envision my higher self when I'm listening to the music that like really energizes me so those are probably the two practices that mm -hmm. I turn to the most how about I you that. what about me um the book that changed my life when I was 17 after a breakup actually my mm -hmm. first big breakup when you're like oh, the world is that day was a book called the power of now by Eckhart Tolle in it he talks a lot about being present what that means how transformative it is but he also just talks a lot about I mean I don't know that he would use these terms but I interpret it as the importance of feeling your feelings just being willing to feel the things that you don't want to feel and how transformational that is yeah. and I find that whenever I identify an area that might be a shadow or is blocked or something I like to become curious about it and then almost invite that part out in its own time 
to come into the safe space where I can express whatever latent feelings might have been blocked because I usually find that that's the case right like that is how like a shadow becomes a shadow is like there's stuff that's unprocessed and usually that's in the form of like these narratives and these feelings all coalesced into this like blob of like shadow Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I'm like very willing to like feel my feelings generally so I'll just kind of make this invitation and then kind of wait for it to come out either something will like trigger it in my life that'll probably like prompt to come out or I've even found that sometimes if I finally see a thing if I'm like wow that was my unhealed trauma around witnessing these things when I was a kid is what's holding me back from this totally seemingly unrelated area of my life right what do I do about it like I'm willing to change this I personally pray I'll be like I, I'm open to guidance I'm open to mm-hmm. being cool and then I've had situations where like maybe a few days later out of nowhere all the feelings will like start coming up to the surface and I'm just a weeping mess on the couch mm-hmm. or on the floor and it's it doesn't feel bad though it feels like yes well, it feels yeah. like I mean this is like a different example but like if you need to sneeze you just need to sneeze it doesn't feel (laughs) bad it doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. suffering it's just like a release that needs to happen sometimes I feel like literally there are feelings that just need to be released and it might look like tears it might look like snot it might look like whatever or journaling or whatever right but like it just needs to come out that's what I do and I don't know how helpful that is but like generally that's my process it's just being willing to feel anything that is unfelt totally I so resonate with that I feel like In my early 20s, I didn't know how to process my emotions. And I think that led me to being super depressed because I would judge myself when I had these emotions come up and I would hate myself for having these emotions. And it took me a really long time to understand that like, oh, it's because I'm not processing these things and I'm very avoidant. And so I let it build up and bottle up before I recognize that it's even a problem. Like I'm so good at not recognizing when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm anxious or when I need to like say something. Do you do you typically like dissociate or you kind of like compartmentalize? No, I always feel like I feel like I'm present, but I'm very in my head and I don't recognize that like my body is feeling anxious and I'm thinking these thoughts, but for some reason I don't connect the two to recognize, okay, maybe we should address this. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, it's just a thought or it's just a feeling. It'll pass. Yeah. And then I don't like give it time and love. Mm-hmm. That part that you shared about feeling depressed after you were, you know, not like feeling your feelings. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. That is such an important point because I find that when we are not willing to feel the bad stuff, we lose our ability to feel the good stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. it sounds like a true, but it's so true. And I, I actually used to, I wouldn't call it Rest because I feel like there are people who are like clinically depressed, and I would never want to sure. like adopt that term for myself. But yeah. I used to really struggle with my mood, especially in college and in high school. And I remember just a lot of people in college probably remember me as a health freak who would just be so obsessive about like diet, and nutrition, and wellness, and yoga, and meditation. And a big part of that was because I didn't know how to feel good. I just like usually mm. would not be able to predict when I would feel okay and when I wouldn't. I was almost like, did I have a mood disorder? And so I was trying to control it through. Wow. Like maybe if I eat the right foods, I will feel better. And I don't know what really changed, but now I feel like my baseline is generally pretty like happy and stable. Mm -hmm. But I do think that part of it is because I've become more skilled at feeling whatever comes up, seeing what's going on within me, checking in with myself. I have just such a good intimate relationship with myself, which is, I guess, like the message of this entire episode that we're doing. Yeah. Um, But the more I've cultivated that, the more I feel like people 
will be like, you're glowing. You're so radiant. You're so peaceful. And it's so funny because I feel like a chaotic mess. (laughs) But I kind of see what they're saying because I do feel like over time, the baseline of my joy has just increased steadily. And I think that's a direct function of my deeper intimacy with myself, honestly. Yeah. Well, I can. (laughs) I mean, this conversation has been so like restorative for me during my founder journey. So I can only hope that other female founders listening feel the same way and that time and like share conversations like this. I'm also like just so immensely grateful to be a woman and to have other women to be able to talk about these things too because I also recognize that a lot of male founders probably need these types of conversations too and I hope that they are carving out the spaces to be able to talk about these things but I'm grateful that we are able to. I agree. Thank you for having this conversation with me and being willing to go there and listening to me talk about my past in case people don't remember haven't tuned in where can they find you where can people connect with you on the internet yeah okay i'll get vulnerable since you got vulnerable i just recently started posting on a new app called sunroom I feel and like- yeah i love it for those of you guys don't know it is an app on the app store that is similar concept to OnlyFans where you have these memberships where people can like subscribe to and you can post. It's not sex content, but it is sexy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's been such a great outlet for me to just like honor that sexual side of myself that I truly love and respect. So if you want to see that, I'm there. And I'm also most active on YouTube currently at xtina.dates. I guess the easiest way to find me is just on Instagram at xtina with two a's dot kim and everything is linked there but yeah thank Got you it. so much yeah of course and and the sunroom is it also xtina dates or xtina kim i believe so yeah okay xtina but kim. through your instagram probably right? yeah yeah okay. amazing okay well thank you so much for sharing that this is an amazing restorative conversation like you said agreed thank you